Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 is where we're going to be looking today. Uh, So open up your Bibles there. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Should be on the screen until you follow along as I read this morning. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise... She took of its fruit and she ate. She gave also some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we we thank you, Jesus, that even in the midst of our fall, even in the midst of our brokenness and our rebellion, and uh, God, what looks like from from the, the verses today... Um, a fall that is is unrecoverable. Father, we thank you that through the work of Jesus, what we just read can be undone. It can be fixed. We can be redeemed. We can be ransomed. We can be saved. Father, thank you. Help us, Father, as we look at temptation and as we look at uh, lies. Uh, God, help us to be people who who know the truth and who don't fall into the same traps that our first parents fell. Father, we ask it and we ask for the teaching and the power and the instruction of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, the last three sermons, we've been looking at God's creative work. So uh, basically the last three weeks, been looking at God's creative work and that he created all the heavens and the earth and the universe and all that exists. He did so for his glory. We see uh, Psalm 19.1 tells us that, that the heavens and all the created things declare to us the glory of God. And so in creation, we see God's mark. We see his handiwork. We see him, him declaring uh, his glory through all that is created. We saw two weeks ago that man is God's special created creation and that we are created in the image of God, okay? So you want to know what your purpose is? You want to know why you're here and why you're made like you're made? The reason is you are image bearers of God. That, that's who you are. That's your job on the earth. That's your mission. That's your purpose is to bear the likeness and the image of God on the earth. You are to reflect certain characteristics of God in a way that no other, no, no other part of creation does so on the earth. That, that's why we're created. Last week we saw we're created in the image of the triune God. We're created in the image of Trinity and that we are created male and female and created for relationships, for, for union, for, for the one flesh union of marriage that, that represents Christ and the church. And so as we've been looking at, at creation, we've had, had three sermons and two chapters of yes. Okay. That's been, been good, hasn't it? I mean, just to see that's, that's who we are. That's the way we're created. And so we leave off last week and in Genesis two twenty five. guys love this verse. It says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I mean, that's where we left last week. That's a, that's a great place. I mean, but 
if we, if we could just stop right there, right? I mean, just, just right there, you got man and woman in this garden paradise. I mean, everything is, is right. They're in fellowship with God. Uh, they're, they're, they're in fellowship with each other. There's no strife in their marriage. They're, they're naked and unashamed. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no sin. Everything is awesome, okay? And yet, when we look around our world today, okay, skip ahead to, to 2010, we can see, okay, something happened, right? I mean, something happened. Uh, we're not still there. Think, things are not still as God created them to be. A couple months ago, we walked into our church office, and we knew immediately that something had happened, okay? Uh, we, we weren't sure what, but we walked in, and we knew something's happened. I mean, the, there was glass all over, and, and all the drawers in all the desks were just standing open. And there was stuff piled on the desk. There was stuff on the floor. Uh, we, we began to look closer, and there were, there were big uh, marks on the doors, uh, on the edge of the doors. There was wood peeled off the sides. And, and then we just, we just knew. I mean, we just walked in, looked around, and said, okay, something happened here, okay? And, and indeed, something did happen. People broke into the offices and stole, stole a bunch of stuff, and, and, and so something happened. Well, in the same way, we look around our world today and we say, okay, something happened. All right. And so the question for us to answer through Genesis chapter three, verses one through seven is what happened? Okay. What happened? As we look around our world today, we see death. I preached five funerals in the last two months. We see divorce we see broken families. We see broken people. We see drug abuse and domestic violence and theft and rape and murder. Uh, we, we see cancer and heart disease and birth defects and Ponzi schemes and fraud and hunger and genocide and abortion and child abuse. What happened from from Genesis chapter 2 to Genesis chapter 3. What happened from the garden paradise to what we see today? What happened from harmonious relationships with God and others to what, what, what happened to what we see today going on in our world? And the answer to that is the fall. Okay? Now, that's not everybody's answer. Okay? There are other people that have other answers, all right? There are people that say, well, you know, what we need is we just have a lack of education. If we could just get everybody in the right education, then we could fix this thing, you know? We wouldn't have crime, and we wouldn't have, you know, all the bad stuff that we see, you know? I I, I differ with that. I think we're one one of the most educated populations of the world that's ever been, and I don't see any decrease in evil in our world. Some people are going to say, well, you know what? We're just a product of an environment. We just need to change the environment. We need more counseling we need more medicine we need more social programs again i think we have lots of all of that and and it's not helping uh what we see in our world today uh, i know it helps and there, there's a place for those things but it's certainly not taking away the evil in our world and, and even more puzzling is we seem to be born that way okay I mean, I differ with, with all those other answers because as I look at my two-year-old i didn't teach her most of the stuff that she's doing and she she's doing it okay you know, I mean, she, does, she didn't want to go to bed last night. Her sister was gone, and so she just didn't want to go to bed. Uh, she didn't want to go to sleep, and, and so she lies to me. You know, my two-year-old, I mean, that, that, that's hurtful, isn't it? You know, I mean, she comes out with all these lame excuses of why she needs to be out. You know, I need to wash my hands, Dad. I mean, this is a, really, she comes out, she says, I need to wash my hands. Dad, my hands are dirty, you know. Somehow between brushing her teeth and washing her hands and the 20 minutes that she's been in her bed, they've gotten dirty in her bed somehow. You know, the same kid kid who at Subway takes her hand and reaches in the ranch like this, okay? And has no problem with that. But somehow on her pillow, her hands have gotten dirty and she has to wash them, all right? Uh, after that, she, she fakes having to go to the bathroom. You know, I got to go to the bathroom, Dad, you know? Uh, I just took your pee. I've got to go poop, you know? So, so I sit her up there. She even makes faces like she's going, you know? You look in there, there's nothing happening, but she's faking it. She's too. Where did she learn how to do that, you know? Addie, did you sit her down one day? Say, okay, here's how you fake pooping, honey. You know, you, you, she didn't, nobody taught her that. 
Do you see what's wired in us? She's wired to lie. She's wired to say, you know what, I want to do a certain thing and my dad doesn't want me to do it and I don't want to respect his authority and so I'm going to lie to try to get my way. Nobody taught her that. Something happened between Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. And what happened is the fall. Now, Genesis 3, 1 starts out, and immediately we know something's going on here, because in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Okay, now, whoa, 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 who's this guy? Okay, who's the serpent? Who is this being? All right, we, we haven't read about him yet, okay? We, we've read about all the creation of God and, and all the, the days of creation, and it's all good, but all of a sudden we've got this being that, that, that isn't God, but he's opposed to God, but he's one of the created order. We, you know, he's, he's not another God. God, because it says in, clearly in verse 1, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He's one of creation, okay? But he, he's opposed to God, all right? Now, just to make a long story short, we know who this is. We know this is Satan. How do we know that? Well, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 tells us, And the great dragon was thrown down, the, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Okay, right away we get, we, we get the answer to that. This is Satan in the form of a serpent, in the form of an animal, in the form of a creature. Okay, Satan appearing to Eve and talking to Eve. You know, some people are going to ask, well, all right, where did he come from? Why is he evil? Did God make him that way? No, God did not make him that way. But we read from Revelation 12, verse 9, there was a fall. We just read that. If we go to like Jude chapter 1, and there's a bunch of these verses. I'll just read you a few of them. Jude chapter 1, verse 6. It says, and the angels who did not stay within their position of authority, but left the proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So we, we know that there were, there were a group of angels who fell, okay, who did not stay in authority under God, but rebelled against God and, and were cast down from heaven. Satan is one of those. He's the leader of those. Well, there's several verses that are passages in the Old Testament that people believe, anyway, refer to him. One's in Isaiah. I won't read you that one. Let me read you the one in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28. Uh, he's called the king of Tyre, but again, a lot of theologians believe this is talking about Satan. I'll pick up reading in verse 12. It says, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. In verse 13, this is one of the reasons they believe that, that it's talking about Satan and not a physical king. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Okay, The Bible talks about Satan being one, one of the most glorious angels. Sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed a guardian cherub. Again, another clue there. I placed you. You were the holy mountain... You were, you were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways uh, from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. On and on and goes. But anyway, many, many people believe that's a reference to what happened in the fall of the angels and, and the beginning of, of Satan's opposition against God. Now, another question people are going to ask is, why doesn't God just stamp him out? You know, I mean, he falls, the, the group of angels fall with him. Why doesn't God just take the sword, whew, be done with him? I mean, they're created beings. Why, why doesn't he just do that? And well, 
First of all, a lot of that is simply in the wisdom of God. I, I'm one of those people that just believes that I, God's ways are higher than mine. He knows better than I do. And there are some things that I just shouldn't question, okay? But I do think there are some good answers. And here's my personal belief, is that God is going to defeat Satan, okay? The Bible is very clear about that. That is going to happen, all right? And in fact, has already really happened in, in, in the work of Jesus Christ. But instead of God just annihilating Satan, God is going to receive more glory by defeating Satan through suffering and service and death and love and grace and the gospel. And God's going to reveal himself to us. And we're going to say, we choose you, God. We want you, God. God's going to open our hearts and fill us with his spirit and put a different spirit in us so that we say, God, we resist Satan, we resist evil, and and we surrender ourselves to you. I believe that's the victory that God desires, okay? That's the triumph that that, that God is going to have in that his, his people will joyfully worship him and not, not the rest of creation or, or evil. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, there's an interesting verse. I think about it a lot. Paul is talking about unforgiveness, actually, is the context of it. And in, in the context of talking to this church about unforgiveness, he, he tells them, uh, you, need to, you need to forgive. And the reason is, in verse 11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his designs or his schemes, okay? So you have this being called Satan who's opposed to God. He's opposed to the people of God. And, and obviously, from chapter 2, verse 11, in 2 Corinthians, he has a certain way of working, okay? He has certain designs, He has a certain game plan. He has a certain scheme. He has a certain strategy against us, okay? Now, I think in Genesis chapter 3, we see that played out probably better than any other place in the Bible, okay? And so what I want us to do is, and we're going to break up uh, really the fall of man into a couple different weeks. Today, we're just going to look really at the temptation narrative. Next week, we'll begin looking at the consequences of sin upon our lives, all right? But, but we're just basically going to look at the temptation narrative today. And so let's look at what, what is the design of Satan? What is the scheme? What's his strategy? What's his game plan uh, against man? How, how did it work in the garden? How, how's it still working today in people's lives, okay? Number one, Satan's strategy is to attack the character of God. Now, what you need to remember is that what you think of God is infinitely important, okay? And in fact, here's what I would say. The way you live your life is very distinctly shaped by what you think of God, okay? Your, your, your view of God, what you think of him, uh, w- w- whether you think he's holy, whether you think he's faithful, um, I, I, think, I think your life is, is, is incredibly impacted by what you think of God. Whether you're sinful, whether you're joyful, whether you're, you're uh, uh, honest, whether you're a liar, whether you're greedy, whether you're generous, whether you're committed, whether you're unfaithful, whether you're a loving spouse or a selfish spouse. I think all of those things have their root in what you think of God. Okay, And I think Satan knows that. And so Satan's going to attack what you believe about God, what, how you think of him. Okay, Whether you see God as faithful and true and glorious and awesome and loving and good, that's going to greatly determine whether you obey Christ or follow Christ or seek Christ. I would even say, I think just a practical thing to do in your life is if you see an area of disobedience in your life, you know, you've got something in your life that just keeps, just keeps knocking you over, okay, as far as your spiritual life, I think a very helpful thing to do is, is to trace that back to, okay, I keep doing this over and over again, and it's sin, it's unpleasing to God, it's wrecking my life. I think a very helpful thing to do is to trace that back to, okay, why, why, what is it that, that I'm believing about God or not believing about God that's causing me to live in that way. I mean, I think that connection is, is that, that clear, okay? And in order for Satan to sway Adam and Eve, in order for, for temptation to happen, in order for the fall to happen, they've got to doubt God. 
Okay? They've got to in some way doubt God. They've got to in some way doubt the word of God in order for the fall to happen. And, and so, so an encouraging thing to me is that if, if, we'll just, if we'll just believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, man, I, I, th- I think that leads to victory. I really do. So, so how's Satan going to do that? Well, he starts out doing it by, by trying to make God look bad. Okay? If you're, if you're going to uh, put a mark on somebody's character, you've got to make them look bad. Okay? And so, so the way he starts out doing that is by exaggerating the commands of God to, to imply that God is not good. That God didn't have their good in mind. That God's not looking out for you. That he's really not a nice guy. Okay? In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had God had made. And he says to the woman, okay, here, here's his first strategy, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Okay, you see where he's going? He's trying to make God out to look bad. Because really, if God had said that, that's pretty oppressive, isn't it? I mean, to be put in a garden paradise with all of this, 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 this bountiful you know, crop of fruit and, and whatever, whatever was growing in there that they ate, and for God to say, all right, you're going to live in there, but you can't eat any of it, you know? I mean, to be surrounded by, by, by oranges and grapes and pineapples and pears and coconut and apples and bananas and kiwi and all these other fruits, and then say, but you can't eat any of it. You know, you're forbidden to eat any of it. I mean, that, that would be a bit oppressive, you know? It's like you cooking all kinds of cookies, you know, and put them in your kitchen. You know, you got snickerdoodles and oatmeal raisin and sugar cookies from the cake lady and, you know, peanut butter cookies and uh, just, just all these cookies. You spread them all out in your kitchen. You spread them all out in your dining room. And then you tell your kids, you can't eat any of them. You know, don't touch any of them. Yeah, go get me a glass of milk. By the way, they're right by the cookies. But you can't eat any of them, you know. I mean, that, that's a little oppressive, isn't it? I mean, you have to say, what kind of parent are you? You know, I mean, that's kind of mean. All right. And so, so Satan's trying to make God out to be that kind of guy who puts us in this world, surrounds us with good things and says, says no, you can't have any of them. You're surrounded by all this good, but you can't have any of it. Now, that's who Satan's trying to make God out to be. But that's not who God is. First of all, God didn't say that. Go back with me. Chapter 2, verse 16. Here's actually what God said. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Now, that's a lot different than what Satan just said he said. He says, You can eat of every tree. God says, Man, I made this good world. I made it for you. And, and, and you can have it all. You can eat of all of this. But, here's what God said, Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Why? Because God's this mean ogre and he's trying to keep back from you what's good, trying to oppress your life. No. Listen. From the day that you eat, you'll surely die. Because you can have all these trees, all this is good, but, but be careful of this one. Because if you eat of this one, you'll die. Don't eat of that one. Okay? Satan is deliberately trying to cast doubt in the mind of Eve about whether God has her good in mind. You know what? That's a huge question, isn't it? You're going to answer that today. You've already answered that in your mind. And hopefully, hopefully this sermon's going to affect how you answer that. Does God have your good in mind? What do you believe about that? What do you believe about the Bible? What do you, what do you believe about the scriptures? You know, what, what, do you, what do you believe about God's commands? Do you, do you see God and when he speaks, when he commands, do you say, you know what? God's got my good in, in mind. You know, when God commands us to be sexually pure, what do you think about that? You know, I mean, I mean do, do, do you think that, that, that he's saying, you know what? Hey, you know what? God commands that. And so I know God's got, got my, my good in mind and God's got my ultimate joy in mind. And so I'm going to believe and I'm going to trust him because if God said it, then I don't care what I feel inside. I don't care what everybody else is doing. But if God said it, then I believe it's for my good. Is that what you believe? And when God commands that you seek Christ first, busy parents, okay, 
When God commands that you see Christ first, that you make Jesus the priority of your life and the priority of your family and the priority of your schedule. When the Bible commands that, do you believe that God's right in that? Is he he right? Is he good? Does he have your good in mind? Is he trying to bless you? Or is he trying to keep you back from something that's better? From doing your own thing? When God commands that you give a portion of your income to the church, man, why does he do that? Is he trying to take from you? Is, is that God's deal? He's a little low, trying to take from you? you know, is, that, is that what you think? Is he, is he, is he trying, to, trying, to, trying to make you not, not be happy, not have the things that you want? Or does God have your good in mind? When God commands you to forgive those who hurt you, you got someone in your life, and man, they've hurt you, and they've, they've just done something that's really damaged you, and God says, I want you to forgive them. I want you to put their sin on the cross, just like you put your sin on the cross. Does God have your good in mind? Is he thinking about you? Is, 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 God, is God good in that? Or, or is that some kind of mean thing, you know, that, that God's trying to make you do that's not really good? That's a huge question, isn't it? Is God good? And Satan seeks to spin the commands of God, uh, the commands we just mentioned, the commands in the garden, to make God out to, to look like he's not good. God's oppressive. He's casting the seed of doubt in, in the character of God in Eve's mind. And you know what? It works. Now she corrects him. Notice this. She corrects him. But she doesn't correct. She doesn't, she doesn't speak accurately. Okay? Uh, verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God has said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, that neither shall you touch it, I don't find that anywhere else in Scripture. Okay? Why is she saying that? I think the seed of doubt's been planted in her mind. She's like, Well, no, here's what God said. Well, yeah, you're right, man. God, he said, We can't even go near it. We can't even touch it. You know, all of a sudden she, she's beginning to think differently about who God is. The seed's been planted. Maybe God's excessive. Maybe he's going too far. Maybe God's a little ridiculous. Maybe he's acting more harshly, more strictly. You know what? All those commands that God has, probably some of those don't really apply. Do you see where Eve's going? See what's happening? Happens in us sometimes too, doesn't it? Eve's view of God is changing. The way that she sees him, the way that she thinks of him is being distorted. And a distorted view of God is the doorway to sin. All right, so Satan turns up the distortion, all right? He's he's got her on the hook. She's starting to think of God in a different way. So he goes ahead and takes the next step, verses 4 and 5. But the serpent said to the woman, you won't die. For God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Essentially, what did he just do, okay? God had said, if you do this, here's going to be consequences. And Satan says, no, there won't be consequences. What, what, What essentially is that? Essentially, that's saying God is a liar, correct? Isn't that right? I mean, that, that, that's, really what, that's really what Satan did. And you know what? When we do that, that's what we're saying as well. When, when the Word of God says, look, if you live this way, if you treasure other things above God, if you neglect His Word, if you neglect prayer, if you put no priority on the church or the mission of God, and yet in your heart you think, I'm fine, there's not going to be any consequences. Haven't we done just the same thing that he just did? <laughs> no, you won't die. Oh, yeah, God said you'd die, but no, no, you, you, you won't. It, it, it'll be okay. You can disobey, and there won't be consequences. Folks, we live in a world full of people that are saying God's a liar. They're saying, well, I know what God said about sex. I know what God said about marriage. I know what God said about this and that. And I know what God said about life. But you know what? Nah, it's, it's going to be okay. God will understand. God, God's got an exception for me. Folks, that, that, that is to call God a liar. 
Look at what he does. Satan not only claims that the bad things won't come from sin, but he claims that good things will come from sin. Okay? Not only will there not be consequences, but man, this could be good for your life. Look, look at verse 5. He says, for, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. Knowing good and evil. Doesn't, doesn't he make that sound great? You know? And, and, and here's the thing about Satan. He, he never tells like, you know, complete outright lie. It's always, it's always a shifting of the truth. I, I mean, some of that stuff actually does happen. I mean, in, ver, in verse 5, you know, your eyes will be opened. That, that was true in a way. You'll be like God, uh, not in the way he's implying, but sort of, okay? Knowing good and evil, true, but not a good thing. You see, he, 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 his lies are always distortions of the truth. It's shifting the truth just a little bit. It's, it's a half-truth, okay? So Satan steps it up. Not only is God not good, but he's holding you back. That's what he says in verse 5. God knows when you eat of it. You see what, you see what he applies there? God knows. God told you that. He told you you would die, but you won't. But he told you that because he knows that when you eat of it, you'll be like him. He just doesn't want you to be like him. Whoa. Man, you see the progression? Now, all of a sudden, it's God not only not good, but God's, God's mischievous. God, God, has, God has an impure motive. God's, God's trying to keep you from, from having the power that he has. When you think about how stupid is that, I mean, obviously, we, we don't have the power. That, you know, sin often holds out the promise that it's going to make you better. It's going to make your life better. It's going to bring happiness. Don't look at... Don't look at sin as something that's holding you back. It's something that, that, that's going gonna, gonna to get you ahead. That's all a lie. Now, here's the devastating thing that happens from that. Look in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Notice the first part of that verse, verse 6. So when the woman saw. What, what's happening there? What's happening, what's implied in that, so that when the woman saw, what's she doing? She's contemplating the tree, isn't she? You know? Oh, she's looking at that tree like she's never looked at it before. And, and all of a sudden, she's considering, what would it be like for me to take that? Think about your temptations. You know, everybody's got their different things, but think about whenever you stumble. What, 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 what almost always happens with that? Isn't there, isn't there a time where you begin, the wheels begin to turn, and you begin to consider, you begin to think about you begin to think, you know what? I know, I know the word God says this, but you know, I'm doing it this way. And you begin to make excuses and you begin to justify yourself and you begin to compare yourself to other people. What, whatever you do, but you begin to consider the thing that God has said, don't touch, don't eat. Actually, I, I just did what Satan did. Didn't he? he didn't say don't eat. He said don't eat it, okay? All of a sudden, she, she's considering. Why is she still talking to the snake? You ever thought about that? Why, 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 is, why is this thing even going on? Why didn't she holler at Adam 10 minutes ago to get the hoe? You know, that's what we did with snakes in, in western Kansas anyway. You know, I mean, why, why is this deal still going on? I mean, why, why is she still in this process? Why didn't she walk away? Why didn't she turn him off? Why didn't she stop listening? Folks, there is great wisdom in simply limiting your temptation. As we look at Jesus, Jesus handled this so, so differently in his life. You know, in, in the temptation narrative, you know, Satan speaks to him. Satan paints, you know, hey, why don't you turn the bread into, uh, or the, the rocks, the stones, and the loaves of bread. And every time Jesus simply answers with the word of God, that's it. You know, it is written. 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know, Satan gives him another temptation. He answers right back. Boom, scripture. In Matthew 16, remember when Peter, he's talking to the disciples about going to the cross. And Satan, Satan speaks through Peter, okay, telling him, no, you don't want to go to the cross. This will never happen. Don't, don't go to the cross. You don't have to die. You remember that? Let me read it to you. Matthew 16, verse 21. From the time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turns and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see how differently Jesus handled temptation? I mean, it was always swift and right to it. There was never contemplation about it. You know, Jesus didn't say, well, you know what, Peter? Let me think about that for a little bit, you know? Not go to the cross. God wants me to go to the cross, but, you know, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe this shouldn't happen. Maybe this is wrong, you know? There wasn't that in Jesus' life. Jesus simply didn't, he didn't, he didn't linger with it, okay? Why is she lingering? Why is she, why is she looking at the tree? Because you know what happens when you, when you contemplate sin? All of a sudden, your flesh is aroused, isn't it? Maybe, do you guys know what I'm talking about there? You know, when you begin to think about the thing that you know that you should do, when you begin to consider it, what happens? When you're not just listening to God, but you're saying, well, let me think about this a little bit, your flesh begins to be aroused. And that's exactly what happens. Look at what it says in verse 5. Or, I know, verse 6. So when the woman saw, what's she seeing? Well, man, it looks good for food. It's appealing to her flesh, to her bodily appetites. And it was a delight to the eyes. It's appealing to her, to her senses. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. It's appealing to her pride. All of a sudden, sin looks good, better, better and better. And God looks further and further away. That happens in every temptation. As I look back at the times that I've blown it, you know, whether it's anger, and I know I shouldn't say a thing, but I end up saying it. You know what happens in that deal? I let that thing spin up here. I let it spin. I don't just listen to God, but, but I take it upon myself to think about it, let it spin, consider it, and what happens? The sinful flesh gets aroused, doesn't it? We begin to think, well, you know what? That looks good. That would feel good. And that, that would make me look good. There is wisdom in limiting your temptation. You know, we all have certain situations that we know we're prone to sin, don't we? Maybe it's money, maybe it's movies, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's when you're alone, maybe it's when you're with a certain group of people. When temptation speaks, man, shut it down. Shut it down. Eve begins to replace God's authority and leadership in her life. You know what's happening in verse 6 when she's looking at the tree? No longer is she under God's authority. No longer is she just living by the word of God. Okay? Prior to this, God said, don't touch the tree. She trusted God. God was her creator. God was her sustainer. God was her friend. So she didn't touch it. She, she, not only did she not touch, she didn't eat it. She didn't, she didn't go after it. But she didn't even, she didn't really consider it. Why? Because she trusted God. But now, all of a sudden... She's making the judgment of what's good and what's right. Folks, we are extremely unqualified to make that judgment call. You see, instead of listening to God, she's, she's determining, okay, is this a good thing for my life? She, she's the judge. Folks, don't be your own God. That's idolatry when we put God's word aside and say, okay, here's what God says about sex, or here's what God says about marriage, or here's what God says about forgiveness, or here's what God says about money. But you know what? Okay, that's what God says, but let, let, me, let me decide what's good here. Let me decide what's right. Let me decide, okay? 
Don't be your own God. So she takes it and she sins. And then look at, uh, look at verse 6, the end of verse 6. She took of its fruit and ate, and she gave also some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Whoa! Where'd this guy come from? Now, isn't this interesting, okay? So, you know, chapter 2, Adam's in the middle of everything, isn't he? You know, he's naming the animals, he names Eve, he's, he's uh, you know, singing to his wife in verse 23. But in chapter 3, 1 through 7, man, there's nothing said of this guy. And the question that really needs to be answered is, what is Adam doing, okay? What's he doing? I mean, God's design of responsibility and submission and care was for Adam to take care of his family. Remember, we talked about that last week. Well, where's Adam? Well, the only thing we know about Adam, we know two things about him from, from in this narrative, okay, about what he was doing in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Number, number 1, we know he was with her. How do we know that? Well, verse 6 says, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave also some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So he's in the proximity, okay? He, he, there, there's a handing off of the fruit. He's somewhere near. He's, he's there, okay? So he's with her, okay? We know that. And number 2, we know that he took the fruit and he ate of it, and we have nothing else, Okay? And so, so here's really the question we got to be answered. What in the world was Adam doing? Okay? And again, I don't know what he was doing. I don't know if they had Nintendo, PlayStation back then, if he's watching a football game. We, I don't know any of that. I do know a few things, though. Number one, there's no questioning by Adam. There's no praying by Adam. There's no accountability by Adam. Adam doesn't think through whether this is a good thing for his family or not. Adam doesn't pray about the implications of this decision. You know what Adam does? Here's the one thing we can say for certain that Adam does. Nothing. You see, Eve's, 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 that's my wife. Eve's, Eve's sin was a sin of, I'm having a rough time this morning, of commission. (laughs) Eve's sin was a sin of omission. Did I say that right? No. Eve's was of commission. Adam's was of omission. What did Adam do? Nothing. Adam didn't do anything, Okay. Adam didn't say anything, he didn't pray anything, he didn't advise anything, he didn't lead anything, he didn't encourage anything. He, he, just, he didn't do anything. I mean, the, the legacy of Adam in chapter 3, 1 through 7, anyway, is that he's the guy that didn't do anything, okay? His family is under attack. Well, let, let's be more broad about that. The human race is under attack, okay? Life and death for every being that would ever be born afterward is on the line, all right? Eternal heaven or eternal hell for billions of peoples on the line. What is Adam doing? And again, I don't know. But here's what I do know. He's not doing anything about the situation. Nothing. Adam's doing nothing. Men of this church. And I asked Andrew. we We were riding bikes the other day and I said, man... You know, we talked about it last week. We talked about men's responsibility in the home. And we talked about God made them the head of their family. And we talked, you know, I, I said, man, I've hit this for several weeks. Should I hit it again? You know, this is what Andrew said. This is your pastor right here. Okay. He said, I think you ought to hit it every week. Okay. Now, I don't think I ought to hit it every week. All right. You see what would happen? You know, Andrew is much more harsh than I am. See if I can make him. This is kind of what's, what the devil did about God. You know, makes the other guy look bad. Okay. But he's right. You know what, men? There's a lot that rides on us being people that don't do nothing. Okay? Don't be a man whose legacy is that he did nothing. 
There's a lot of men that that's really that in, in, in eternity. That's that's going to be the legacy. Oh yeah, he worked. He worked a good job. He provided. You know, th- those are not. I, I know those are important things. Okay, provided an income for his family. And he played golf. You know, whatever, whatever. Okay, but I'm talking about these things here. I'm talking about the spiritual health of your family. Don't be a guy that, that that's what's written about you in your life. You're the guy that did nothing. Nothing spiritual, nothing helpful to the kingdom, nothing beneficial to the spiritual lives of your family, nothing to keep your children from sin, nothing to help them to know God, nothing to keep them from hell. Man, please, guys, don't be that guy. Don't, don't fall into this trap. Don't be the guy that does nothing. Maybe he was afraid he'd say the wrong thing. Maybe he was afraid he would be mad. Well, those are real, aren't they? I mean, yeah. You know, maybe he, maybe he thought, you know what? My wife's smarter than I am. She can probably do this deal better. That's real. That's true sometimes. Maybe he's just distracted. Maybe he had things going on in the garden, new corn crop, cultivating a new breed of pears. I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, I just, there's so much we don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. But here's what I know. Adam didn't do anything. Not that we read about. He didn't say, hey, Eve, we need to stop and think about this. We need to pray about this. You know what, honey? I'm just not sure. Let's go to God. Let's ask him. You know what, hon? We're, I'm, I'm responsible for you, and, and, and I know you want to do this, but look, let's, let's, just, let's just stop. Let's, let's just consider. Let's think about who God is. None of that. Last week we learned God designed them male and female, right? God created Adam first for a reason. First Timothy told us that. He gave the commandments to Adam. We saw that. Chapter 2, verse 15, 16, 17. He makes Eve Adam's helpmate. Everything, all of that points to Adam has responsibility over his family. And yet he does nothing. Who took the fruit? Eve did. Eve did. Who listened to the serpent? Eve. Who, who sat there and considered the tree when she shouldn't have been? Eve. Whose sin is it? The rest of the Bible. Adam. Guys, I, I'm not telling you that I like for it to be this way. <laughs> I'm really not. I'm just telling you it is this way. All right, but let, let's, let's think about Eve for a second in this context. What about, what about the order that God created them? What about submission? What about respecting Adam's leadership over their home? I mean, Eve, this is a pretty big decision, you know. This is not like, do I buy whole wheat bread at the store or white bread, you know. I mean, I mean, this, this is not small stuff. This, this is, okay, are we going to rebel against the creator of the universe? Right, that's pretty big, isn't it? Maybe Eve should have said, you know what, maybe, maybe I ought to go to my husband. Maybe we ought to talk this through. Maybe we ought to pray about this. Maybe I ought to, maybe I ought to consult him before I even talk to this snake, you know. The first couple does not honor the way God created them or marriage. They ignore God's order. They ignore his instruction and they fall into sin. And folks, here's the bad news. We all fell with them. Listen to Romans 5.12. We'll talk more about this next week. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. The human race fell in Genesis chapter 3. You want to know why I've done 80 funerals here at LABC? Sin.
You want to know why they're still looking for the body of a little boy who disappeared in our town? Sin. You want to know why we live in a world full of sickness and suffering and leukemia and cancer and car accidents? Sin. You want to know why families rupture and split? Sin. You you don't want to know why people are depressed and broken and hurting? Sin. And here's the thing. And I, I think surely this is about you as well. I don't want to sin. I don't want to sin. I, I don't want to sin. I want to put my sin on the cross. I want Jesus to empower me not to sin. And we're going to talk about redemption next week um, through the consequences of sin. But let me leave you with this. I know that temptation is going to happen this week. I know it's going to happen today. You're going to be tempted to set God aside, to set his word aside, and rebel against him. And it's going to happen in a similar way that we just read about. I mean, I know it's different circumstances, different ways. But, but essentially, God's character is going to be attacked. Whether or not he's really good is going to be attacked. And you're going to, you're going to be faced with whether or not you're going to do your own thing or you're going to do God's thing. I plead with you, don't do what Adam and Eve did. God is good. Amen? God is good. He is good. Whatever he commands is good. Let's trust that. Father, we do trust today that you're good. Jesus, you're good. And and God, all that you command is good. And the way that you've told us to live life is good. And God, the way that you've structured our family is good. And the way that, God, that you relate with us is good. And Jesus is good. And the cross is good. Father, you're good. And Lord, help us, God, not to depart from that. Lord, help us to see you for who you are. And Lord, let, let our seeing you and knowing you transform the way that we live. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.